We've been in Deuteronomy, but for four weeks now in Lent, we're going to move out of Deuteronomy and talk about uh, generosity. And I hope that you found our free book. It's still available of this morning entitled Generosity. It has uh, devotional readings for 28 days on the subject written by um, a very uh, solid Christian author, Gordon MacDonald. So today we turn our attention from Deuteronomy uh, to Paul to Corinthians, 2 Corinthians chapter 8, uh, and beginning in verse 8. I'm not commanding you, but I want to test the sincerity of your heart by comparing it with the earnestness of others. For you remember the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ, who, though he was rich for your sake, became poor, so that in his poverty you may become rich. So this is my judgment on what is best for you in this matter. Last year you were the first to give, and not only that, you were the first to desire to give. So my advice is let your willingness come to completion not a, and if the willingness is there, then the gift is acceptable to God, not based on uh, what you do not have, but based on what you do have. It is not my desire that you be hard pressed and everyone else be relieved, but it is that in your plenty you may supply their needs so that in turn in their plenty they will supply your need so that there will be equality for all. Remember, it is written, those who gathered much did not have too much and those who gathered little did not have too little. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. Be seated, please. If you've read in the devotional book, you may have read the story this week about a church in Whittier, California, that wanted to collect $150,000 to build a hospital for orphans in the African country of Malawi. Well, when they took the offering in Christmas that year, the offering totaled more than a half million dollars. And the pastor, in great excitement, exclaimed, Generosity is the new evangelism. Well, he was excited, but he might be on to something. Gabe Lyons, who's done a lot of research and was part of the was co-author of a book called Unchristian that talks about how non-Christians feel about Christians, and and he looks into the future of Christianity. Had the opportunity to be uh, to be with Billy Graham last year at his uh, house in Montreat, North Carolina, and as they talked, um, Dr. Graham said that he, no longer he says will evangelism be done in large crusades and in football stadiums as it was in my day. Dr. Graham went on to say, I believe it's going to be done in smaller groups and one-on-one, and evangelism will be set up by deeds of kindness that we do for others that they see. I think he's saying that generosity is the new evangelism, that when we do good and kind things for others, it opens a door and then gives us an opportunity to talk about the reason why we did these good things. And this morning, Paul's just saying to the Corinthians, that's what God did. God got our attention through amazing generosity by giving Jesus Christ. And the sacrifice of Jesus Christ is amazing in that though he was rich, he became poor for our sake. And then in his poverty, we could become 
rich. In other words, Jesus' story is that he went from riches to rags so that we might go from rags to riches. Commentator William Barclay puts it this way. The sacrifice of Jesus began in heaven. I think in Lent and and Good Friday, we think a lot about Jesus' sacrifice on the cross, and well, we should. It is the central tenet along the resurrection of our faith. But what Barclay reminds us and what Paul reminds us is that actually the first sacrifice came long before that, when Jesus left his abode in heaven where everything in the universe was at his fingertips and at his disposal and gave it all up to come and to be with us. Soren Kierkegaard, 150 years ago, told a parable about a king, uh, or parents rather, who fell in love with a peasant woman. And he was afraid he would overwhelm her. And so he dressed like a peasant and went to the village every day so that he could come to know her. She could come to trust him and he could win her over. And Kierkegaard says in some ways that's what Jesus did, coming from the palace down to us so that we might know him, be with him and come to trust him. But the difference was in Kierkegaard's parable, the prince goes back to the castle every night and sleeps in his nice bed and has his servants attend to him. But Jesus, every night, made his place with us. He gave up everything for us so that in turn we might receive everything through him. Now you and I all know how to sacrifice. We know how to give gifts to others, especially to those whom we love. But I doubt any of us has given a gift that's even uh, remotely uh, the size of what Jesus did. I I, uh, helped um, with my family put a few kids through college, uh, but I still had money left over. I still was able to eat. I still got in my car drove to work and put gas in it. I was not left destitute. But Jesus gave everything that he had. A friend of mine is a pastor at another church, and and uh, he sent me an article because it, uh, it uh, applied to their church. A couple in their church gave $3 million to something the church was doing, and, and that was an amazing gift. That was a great gift. But in the article, the couple that gave the money admitted that they still had millions and millions of dollars left over. They had not given everything. We simply cannot give anywhere near the level of what Jesus, who had everything in the universe, gave up on our behalf. So God sets through Jesus Christ the example of generosity. And Paul says, now with that example, we are in return supposed to give generously to the needs of others. And Paul makes a very few, uh, makes a few practical suggestions. Now he says, I'm not commanding you. I'm just trying to help you. I'm just trying to help you see where you are in comparison with what Jesus did and in comparison with other churches, he said. And he gives us four pieces of advice. The first thing is this. When you give generously, give out of what you have, not out of what you don't have. You and I have all been faced with incredible needs, whether it's the earthquake relief in um, Japan or it's the needs of orphans in countries in Africa or uh, the needs of uh, children on the other side of town here in San Antonio. And all of us have given, and I'm sure wished we could give more. And that's a wonderful wish. But Paul says, don't let that wish to do more keep you from doing what you can. Too many people with very sincere motives wait for their ship to come in, and they say, when it comes in, then I'll really do something. Then I'll give generously. And Paul said, a gift is acceptable to God if you willingly give out of what you have, not out of what you don't have. Then um, the second thing that Paul seems to indicate is that gift is, in a sense, in proportion to what God has done for us. 
Now, do you all know that biblically, um, in the Hebrew Bible, in the Old Testament, there's sort of a standard gift that's set, which is the people were to return uh, for, to God 10% of what God had given to them. There was a proportional response. Now, there are a lot of people who believe that the tithe does not apply to Christians and to people um, of the New Testament. Uh, but before you get too excited about that, um, let me point out, some believe it doesn't apply because it's just not enough. That the Pharisees gave 20%, and Jesus talked about a widow who gave her, her uh, widow's mites, and that was it. She walked out of that, uh, that worship service and had nothing left. And so some say that the standard is even uh, higher. I'll leave you to pray and, and wrestle with God and the community about that because the main thing is that we give proportionally. We just recognize when God has blessed us, our response is then in turn to bless others. Uh, Clarence talked about um, being in Burundi. And I know I told you last year, when they do the offering in the, the churches in Burundi, everybody files past the offering basket and puts their hand in. And I would guess at least 80% of them have nothing in their hand. They haven't made a dime that week. They've lived off the crops that they were able to raise or what they were able to barter. They didn't make anything. But they're saying, God, when I get something, it's coming to you. There's that willingness. And then there are those who did make something that week, then who put it in the basket. But the emphasis is on the willingness. It says, God, when you give to me, I am going to give to others. And so there's no need to feel guilty about what we give or don't give because it's a matter of the heart. It's a matter of willingness. And you might say, well, I'm not feeling very willing. And I'll say, okay. Paul says to the Corinthians, God loves a cheerful giver. But if you'd like to get more cheerful about your giving, if you'd like to get more willing, there's a way to do that. Jesus said, where your treasure is, there your heart will be also. And I told my Bible study class, we've spent centuries trying to prove Jesus wrong. We think whenever we love something enough, we'll finally give to it. And Jesus says, no, if you give to it, you'll start to love it. You know, think about um, if you went to college where you spent your tuition money and your time. And after you made that investment, you started getting in, in interested in that school. And so when their game's on TV, I turn it on and watch. You know, I spent a lot of years there and a lot of money. And so the basketball team's of interest to me. In fact, I never watched a single game that they ever played before I went to that school. I didn't even know they had a football team. I'm still not sure to this day. But you understand that you know, I made the investment. I made the investment and my heart followed along. I made the investment of time and energy and went to Africa. And, and now my heart's there and I want to support those children you saw on the screen. You can give willingly, but, but I think it starts by making some sort of gift, gift in an area uh, where God has called you. And then finally, he says that we give so that the sacrifice um, we sacrifice so that there will be equality. And I have to tell you, for years, the way I understood that is, well, everybody needs to sacrifice equally. So if I'm giving 10%, you should give 10%. And if you're giving 12, I should give 12, or, or whatever it is. If you're, what, and that, that was what it was about, equal sacrifice. And maybe Paul's talking about that. But when he talks about the fact that when people were hungry in the wilderness and God rained down manna from heaven... Everybody got the same amount, depending on the size of their family. Each person got the same. No matter how much they gathered, they found the miracle was not only did they have manna, but they had just enough for their family no more. And it reminded me that maybe what we're talking about here is not just equality of sacrifice, but we're talking about equality of, of access to resources, food, water. As the children mentioned this morning, shoes. 
What happened when the Holy Spirit came upon the first church? In Acts 2, it says they got together and they shared so that everybody had their needs met. We, um, one of the things that troubles those of us who go to Africa, and may trouble you as well, is why do we have and they don't? And I don't really have a complete answer to that, but I think part of the answer is I have so that I can share with them so that they might have. And that becomes a key is not equality necessarily of giving, but equality that everybody ought to have food, everybody ought to have shoes, everybody ought to have water. And instead of raining it down from heaven like God did in the wilderness, the distribution center is right here. God puts it in my hands and your hands and says, now distribute it. They only collect what we give to them through what God has given us. We've become the agents of distribution for the generosity of God. Well, Paul didn't say this in Corinthians, but I have to guess that Paul understood that whatever he had came first from God. And I just have to tell you, when it comes to generosity, you're never going to really get to be as generous as you can be with other people, uh, with your family, with, with God, if you think that what you have is yours. When you start to understand that what you have is a gift from God and you hold it a little more loosely, then you're able to let it flow from you to others. And so I think Paul knew that whatever he had and whatever the Corinthians had, it started first with the fact that God had given it to them, so they gave it to others. Now, I have to admit, I can't really tell you how the Corinthians responded to this letter. I don't know. I know Paul showed up in Jerusalem with an offering. How much of the offering came from Corinth, I don't know. I know Paul got arrested for um, uh, an unrelated and, and unsubstantiated charge while he was there, but he did bring the offering. But I do know this that later churches in the 2nd and 3rd century followed the example of the generous Jesus who became poor so that we might be rich and followed the teaching of Paul and gave of themselves generously in the Roman Empire. And that, according to many historians, is the reason Christianity became more attractive than paganism. Two major plagues hit Rome, one in the 2nd century, one in the 3rd century. And I've told you before, anybody who could get out of Dodge got out. Senators who were well, and the other wealthy and the educated, they all left the plague-ridden city, and the Christians stayed. And with their resources, their energy, their hearts and their hands, they tended to the plague-ridden inhabitants, both Christian and pagan. They took care of them all, and it made an indelible mark. For the Christian faith upon the Roman Empire. So by the time Constantine blessed the Roman Empire in 312, Christians already had won the day for their generous giving of even their very lives as many died during the plague nursing those who were sick. So by the end of the 4th century, when the Emperor Julian's trying to overturn Constantine and puts the Christians out the door, he has this complaint. He says, those impious Galileans, in other words, those irreligious followers of Jesus because they don't follow Zeus and the other gods, said the problem with them is they not only feed their own poor, they feed our poor. While our lack of aid to the poor is obvious to everyone. What he's saying is, the Christians are cheating. They're getting out there and generously taking care of people in need, and they're making us look bad. And while the Romans look bad, because of the generosity of Christians, our God looked good, and people were drawn away from paganism to Christianity.
It is as the pastor in California remarked in his excitement, generosity is the new evangelism. <laughs>